Hello, friends. Welcome to the Plug Podcast by B-Vibe. I'm your host, sex and pleasure educator, Luna Matadas. You are in luck today. If you're both a TV or a movie buff and a booty stuff buff, we are chatting about anal on screen. So what goes into creating intimate scenes in movies and TV shows? How does the depiction of sex influence our practice of sex? What's missing from butt stuff depictions on TV? We're going to get into what goes into planning sex on screen with our guest today. The Plug Podcast is made possible by the butt pleasure loving geniuses at B-Vibe. B-Vibe is an award-winning sex toy company that believes in the power of pleasure education. So when they aren't busy innovating high-end sex toys for you to shove up your butt, they are building pleasure education opportunities for us to have better sex. If you're enjoying the plug podcast or you are curious about learning more about anal pleasure, like or subscribe wherever you're listening and let us know what you'd like us to talk about next. My guest today is an intimacy coordinator for stage and screen. Lizzie Talbot has been researching safe and dynamic intimacy for performance since 2015. She is the founder and director of Intimacy for Stage and Screen, formerly IDI UK, one of the first companies in the UK advocating for safe intimacy for stage and screen. She has worked internationally across the UK, EU, and the USA. Lizzie is also certified with the Intimacy Director and Coordinator Professionals in the US. Lizzie is one of the lead instructors for the Intimacy Coordination and works professionally as an Intimacy Coordinator across various networks, including HBO, Netflix, Stars, BBC, BritBox, and others. As a trained movement professional and fight director, Lizzie works across many disciplines in the entertainment industry. So I may have had to binge watch Bridgerton and The Witcher, both of which Lizzie worked on in prep for this episode. So you are welcome. Enjoy this amazing conversation with Lizzie. Okay, Lizzie, I I am I am super fangirling right now, but I am I'm I'm excited because of all of your work and also the the type of work that you do and and you in particular and and how much you are involved in at so many different levels. So I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to the Plug Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's so cool to be here. Yeah, you're so welcome. Um, you know, I I think a lot of people don't even really know what an intimacy coordinator is, or or what they do, or what the importance is. Can you tell us a bit about about your profession, about your field? Sure. So typically, the role comes down to sort of like three sections. There's the advocacy section, where our role is to advocate for cast and crew um, during the uh, pre-production level and shoot. And post so um, ensuring that nudity writers are um, consensual and delivered on time and ensuring that closed set protocols are in place so that people aren't just wandering in uh, to these vulnerable scenes at any point so making mm. sure that there's a strict list of who can come in and who can't um, and there's lots of other things that go along with that there's the liaison part so we work with a huge amount of different departments um, like across the production. So costume, hair and makeup, stunts, VFX. Um, and, and our job is to really like look after the process from start to finish and connect with all of these different departments along the way. So that's been a really, a really exciting and interesting part of the job as well, getting to work across so many different pe- uh, places Um And then the last part, which is honestly like it's the most important, is the choreography aspect of it. Mm. And so that's choreographing all of the intimate scenes from uh, simulated sex and and nudity. And so really, even though we are um, seen as advocates on set, our primary focus is, is really the choreography. If you think about it, we're like stunt coordinators for the intimate scenes. And again, even though we have a strong focus on health and safety, just as stunt coordinators do, uh, the primary objective of us is to choreograph. 
This is so cool because I, I feel like I would like a stunt coordinator, intimacy coordinator for my own personal sex life. And <laughs> so that you could you could tell me all the boundaries I should have that I don't. And you know, like all of these wonderful um, assets that you're bringing into these spaces around safety, around, you know, I love the, the tagline from your, your website. It's about dynamic, safe and creative work. And, and I think that um, people are often consuming things and not really thinking about, oh, yeah, like like that was that was choreographed. That was that was mm-hmm. a thing that someone planned out. And and so, you know, in, in your industry and actually even in your work, are you working only on intimacy scenes or do you work on, on other scenes? No, typically we uh, stay with simulated sex and nudity. A huge part of our role is also um, ensuring that there is a separation between personal and professional because we want these actors to go home at the end of the day to partners, to spouses, to whoever it is that they have at home and not take the weight of intimate scenes back home with them. So we want them to be able to like almost disassociate with this because it's a job. We want them to be able to leave at home rather than be able to, you know, like having to take it home with them and like carry the residue of that. It's, it's so important that, you know, like this is a job, even though we're doing intimate scenes, but it needs to be bookended. They need to be able to leave it at work. Right, right. I, you know, I, I like the way that that you talk about it. Is is it's almost a pivot. It's it's you're pivoting into this space where this is professional intimacy, and then you want to be able to shift back into your your personal intimacy. Mm-hmm. I actually think that's that's a fantastic skill. Even in general, I think um, a lot of people who are engaging in BDSM and kink, they're often pivoting into parts of themselves that are safe in an erotic space. But in our day to day life, you know, we don't want to be dominant or submissive and outside of what we've created. And so how how do you think? Okay, so I have to I have to nerd out a little bit because (laughs) I was going to I was going to ask a very practical question. But I I have to say, I mean, I just binge watched uh, season two of The Witcher yesterday and I didn't even leave my couch. I don't know how I survived with that little water that day. And and I I was so excited. I mean, both The Witcher and Bridgerton that that you've worked on. I mean, there's there's so much that um, really engages people emotionally. And so whether it's in the the intimate scenes in Bridgerton that have really like blown people away, people are, that was the, the first, as soon as it came out, people were like, Luna, did you watch Bridgerton? Did you watch the sex stuff yet? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was like, no, but I gotta. And, um, you know, and seeing kind of the reaction to this, what, what influence do you think that scenes uh, around intimacy have on, on audiences? Like, are they taking it as an emotional connection are they taking it as part entertainment is there something that they're learning from it like do they have influence on the ways that we see intimacy I think so I've I've spoken about this a couple of times and it's sort of I think really come clear and particularly after the past year is that for for so long people were trying to emulate Hollywood romances in their own lives and the problem was is that, that because they weren't real um heavily curated and from one particular viewpoint uh, it wasn't really working for everyone so you know people were really desperate to have that like oh look at our relationship it's just like you know a Hollywood romance however it's left people feeling really empty and unfulfilled what's fascinating now is that Hollywood's trying to emulate real relationships Ooh, twist yeah And that's fine. And and I think people are finding that far more engaging, which is what you're seeing with Bridgerton now. Um, You know, season one, uh, you you saw it from a different perspective for one of the first times on TV. You know, it's it's from the female gaze. Um, And I think that just awoke so much in people because it's like, oh, right. Uh, this is the relationship that I would like. This is the amount of like fulfillment that I would like in this um, relationship, whether it's like sexual fulfillment or emotional fulfillment, but like, this is what I'm looking for. And finally I'm seeing it and I've got a model for it. It's not perfect, but it's, it's out there and it's visual and people can engage with it. Yes. Yes. And, and I think even some of the real, moments that that were happening i mean daphne not knowing anything about sex that's so real for people people Mm -hmm. feel that sex isn't a skill that it's something that you just innately know how to do and i really liked seeing this representation of yeah i don't know i don't know unless someone teaches me 
yeah, it's a journey and it's it's about finding what you like as well as what your partner likes. And I think that that's been a really healthy thing to see someone walk through that with someone in a really careful and nurturing way rather than either taking advantage of it or violating it in some way. But just a really uh, careful education, I think, has been just so healthy for people to see. Yes, I think so too. And I think you talk a lot about the transformation in, in the industry and how things are, are changing. And I, I really didn't know much about intimacy coordinators until um, Tarana Burke started Me Too movement. And we started mm-hmm. to have more focus on on this, on, on media and intimacy, and even considering that that actors and actresses are, are or actors are very... Um, you know, vulnerable in, in their work, you know, that there, there's a safety hazard in, in their work. We don't sure. really think of it that way. We think of, yeah, stunt people have um, safety hazards or, you know, people mm-hmm. doing different kinds of things, but we don't think about the emotional or physical um, challenges that, or, or safety issues that might come with intimacy scenes. So how do you, how did you see the industry change, you know, kind of post me too? Well, it was fascinating because what we started to see was people equate mental health with physical health for one of the first times because the problem that we had for ages was that damage was being done with intimate scenes but no one was seeing it because it was silent and it was invisible um right you know people were walking home or taking home um huge emotional scars feeling violated feeling confused feeling hurt feeling pressured but because of the power dynamics in the industry no one felt like they could say anything so, and, and it's, it's very different from like, you know, if an actor breaks their leg, we all know that something went wrong. But because yes. actors are so conditioned to pretend that they're fine with everything, even when they're not, they're, they're just, and if something goes wrong, they're, they're walking home carrying huge, huge emotional and, and mental scars. And so what happened with the Me Too movement is that people were able to start talking about it for the first time, you know, the power power dynamics were shifting so that, you know, people who'd held a lot of power for ages um, and were particularly effective at silencing people, you know, it's it's almost like the, the pressure was too much and the lid blew off and one story came out and then, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of stories came out and, you know, the cards began to topple. So what you're seeing then is an equation between the physical health and now the mental health of, of, of the actors and being able to work with that equivalency is like, well, you know, when we look after actors, physical health in the, in the stunt world, we give them a stunt coordinator mm-hmm. and, and you know that, that it also helps their mental health as well because they know that they're going to be safe. They know that they have a, um, you know, a safety net. They know that they have a stunt double. Um, they know that they don't have to put their, um, physical and emotional well-being on the line and it's the same here when you can have an intimacy coordinator for both you know mental and physical and emotional support um, through really vulnerable scenes yeah thank you for for really highlighting this connection between mental and and physical health and not just sort of being expected to kind of go along to get along or this is your work so you have to do this but then you leave with all these wounds or like unmanageable kind of emotional pieces um it sounds like like the the work is is just so critical so is it is it mandatory that if there are um intimate scenes that there has to be an intimate coordinator on on set in most studios yes but we're still working on it and it's also country dependent so not all countries are on board with it yet um it's taking a little while it's a slow process but the great thing is is that the ball won't stop rolling now, like in terms of like, we're not going away anytime soon. So there is like, I I have confidence in that, that even though we're not there yet, we will be very soon. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like your hope around it. Cause I, I think mm-hmm. if we are seeing more reflection of, you know, populations and people that were previously excluded from, from kind of on scene intimate um, depictions, then we're also seeing populations that, that might be particularly vulnerable in these mm-hmm. scenes. So queer or trans actors, and even really thinking about some of the, the perpetuation of, of stereotypes of these, 
these actors in in intimate scenes. And so are there are there special considerations that you keep in mind when you're coordinating scenes with more vulnerable vulnerable um, actors? Yeah, I think it's really about listening and, and telling their story appropriately um, and realizing that, you know, sometimes I'm not the best person to do the job. There might be someone who has more appropriate experience than me to do it. Mm-hmm. and passing that off but again I think I think it's it really comes down to ensuring that um, the writer's room has the people to tell the story because uh, I think that there's a little bit of a misconception that intimacy coordinators come in and we have huge control over the narrative or we veto stuff and there are instances where we can do that however that's not really our job and we don't change a huge amount if we do that where things change is getting the right people in the writer's room. So making sure that we've got queer people in the writer's room, making sure that we've got trans people in the right, trans people in the writing room. Um, that's, that's really where a huge amount of the change happens because that's really where the narrative's controlled um, is, is by the script, you know, like we're handed scripts and then we choreograph to the script. So it's, it's very difficult for us to take a script and say, well, actually, this this isn't accurate. We're going to change it. We can, but it's far better if we've got got the right people in the writer's room making those decisions and making those changes. Yes, that's such an important point because there's there's definitely also power dynamics, I can imagine, Mm -hmm. between wanting to advocate in a certain way. And it made me think about, um, I I love Shonda Rhimes and I remember watching Scandal and thinking, Mm. oh my God, every time Olivia Pope has sex, the scene is about some dude going down on her. And mm-hmm. we never see that. We hardly ever see depictions of, of cunnilingus. We hardly ever see depictions of um, people with vulvas even receiving mm-hmm. anything other than penetrative pleasure for, for orgasm. And and I just was like, mm, okay, good. You know, there's like a priority yeah. in the writer's room here. Right. That, like that's where it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that's where it's, that's where it really needs to come from because it then has, it it's empowers so many more people um, because once it comes from the writer's room, you know, the directors, um, they have material that is official to work with. The actors know exactly what they're doing because they're reading the script that has this uh, language and instruction in. Do you know what I mean? Rather than us turning up on the day, um, seeing penetrative sex and having to manage that. Right. It's, it's so cool if it is just in there from the off with the writer's room um, because it's it's affecting so many more people and it's um, it's engaging so many more people. And it's also, it means that the industry is changing. And I think that that's something that's so important um, because people can really kind of have the impression that we're sort of, you know, like marching into the industry and, and doing all these changes, <laughs> which is, you know, it's fine and it's good. And, you know, it, to, to some extent, it, it's true. We, we are changing the industry. But the problem is, is that like, it shouldn't just be intimacy coordinators doing it. And yes. I think that we will lose out as an industry if it's not systemic change. Um, it mm. has to come from so many different places rather than just being like, oh, here's the intimacy coordinator. They'll fix, you know, <laughs> they'll fix all the cultural, social and like physical issues that we have with the with the script that isn't telling the story appropriately. It's like, no, there's got to be a director who's informed about the type of intimacy that they're um, asking actors to portray. It There has to be people in the writer's room that are, interested in telling these stories there has to be producers who are willing to fight for it and to um fund it so so do you know what i mean like it it has to come from so many different places not just the intimacy coordinator if it's just the intimacy coordinator then the industry you know like well it's not going to be any better in five years because it's just going to be certain people doing it and it's just got to come from all over the place that's where we'll see really cool change in the industry 
Yeah. Thank you for laying it out like that, because it, it, it reminded me a lot of, you know, when people start to do diversity initiatives in corporate yes. workplaces and it's this one poor, you know, person who mm-hmm. has to coordinate all the national days of significance or, you know, things that, that uh, are comfortable changes for people, but in order yeah. to make changes that might be uncomfortable, but more impactful, they need the buy-in of senior management, of executives, yes. of like people who are determining the mission. And, and it really strikes me around, you know, I'm, I'm just starting to think about like how mm-hmm. much influence watching intimacy scenes that didn't have my body type, that, that didn't have exactly. you know, people who look like or have queer sex like me, that didn't, you know, even represent the, the kinds of, of knowledge levels or things I like to do in sex, like how much watching that really tamed a lot of my own natural mm-hmm. erotic curiosities or even risking, you know, asking someone for something. I was like, well, I've never seen this. And most of us yes. are learning from porn or we're learning from, you know, movies or TV. And, and so without this, like you're, you're raising mm-hmm. something that I think is so it's such a big influence on on the way that we see and have intimacy. And and so to to make those changes would would definitely have a, a big influence on a, a larger audience. So do you think the audience needs to start demanding more or do you like where would this where would the incentive come for for people who are higher up or in more influential positions to um, change the way things are done? Well, I think it. It comes from people hiring um, more diverse writers rooms. It comes from people hiring and like just top to bottom, you know, you, we want to see the people who are reflected um, all the way down from producers to runners. Like Mm -hmm. what's the show about? Well, we want to see people that look like them that um, have, have similar identities to them all the way through. Um, because then it doesn't feel like these these works are being made in in silos, and it doesn't feel like this work is, you know, um, like a, a one off or um, you know, like a like a checkbox. And you know, like I think we're seeing some really exciting work that's going to come up in the next couple, and definitely in the next year, um, where people have really tapped into that. Uh, I know that Bros, you know, they've just had the first uh, entirely queer cast. Ooh, that's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, like we're starting to see those changes now, um, which which are coming through. And it's it's just it's really exciting um, because it means that like real systemic change is happening rather than just sort of like, you know, token, like token players and like, oh, here's a nod to this and here's a nod to that. It's infused rather than. just lip service. Yes, yes. And I really appreciate your um, this this advocacy that that recognizes you know systemic changes and then also that, that there are interpersonal things that that are happening and that there are conversations and people like you that are, are change makers within the industry because I you know I was doing research for this episode and I was trying to find anal sex scenes that um, were in sort of mainstream movies and mm-hmm. okay so first of all it was really hard it, yes. was, it was hard to find yeah. stuff yeah. and and it was also hard to find things that weren't depicting anal assault or really mm-hmm. violent anal or you know we all saw the brokeback mountain scene with like spit and poke it in and mm-hmm. um you know and i think even depictions of i mean there were absolutely none about like queer women and anal there was mm-hmm. always like either um cis uh heterosexual women that were taking it or it was kind of the you know pun intended it was like the butt of a joke about mm-hmm. he got the wrong hole or something like that and and i thought about you know how many uh, you know teach butt stuff all the time and and a lot of these are our representations i mean a lot of these are are real representations whether art's imitating life or life's imitating art but um you know they're they're definitely speaking to storylines that um are are relatable to people and um i think one of the you know the things that i came across was last tango in paris and and mm-hmm. after me too was was in the media i mean it it really the story really came out and about maria uh, Schneider and Marlon Brando and how that was a, a non-consensual um, anal sex mm-hmm. scene that was concocted by you know two men and and I thought oh my gosh like we think this stuff is is new in media and I mean <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is not that was like what the ni- early 70s 1970s like I don't I don't know but um, it was it was it was interesting about kind of I, that was a very hard scene for for me to watch mm-hmm. and even before I kind of knew about this um, but you know so c- can we can we kind of talk about that a little bit like why is this depiction of, of anal in in this way is it because we kind of have people who are from a particular perspective 
perspective and this is what they assume about anal or this is what what they kind of their dominant narrative about uh butt stuff is yeah i think it's uh i think it comes from early porn i think it comes from um like a huge amount of assumptions that are made because they aren't uh, engaging with people who who do it or who have experience with it, it's all based on assumptions rather than having any thought out or comprehensive conversations around it. And so I think it's it's often like rushed, it's often thrown in, it's often um, like you say, you know, a, either a joke or a, a shortcut to depict um, a really violent character trait. And so mm-hmm. it's very rarely seen as romantic or sensual or engaging but it's 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 so often a shortcut and I think that um particularly this year which there's a lot of things that are coming out that I think are really exciting um that are starting to to challenge that and so much of it is because you've now got people who have experienced it or who uh, understand it or who have researched it properly or um who are willing to have those conversations mm-hmm. uh, depict this in a far more like healthy and realistic light. And so I think even though it's it's been so long in the making of like okay where are we at when are we actually going to see these scenes like like they they're on the way which is exciting. And of course it's really hard to watch. I find it hard to watch any scene that you know has um impacted actors in a negative way with intimacy um because essentially what you're watching there is just recorded trauma. You know, right. it's, it's it's real. It's really uncomfortable to watch. Like any time that I hear an actor speak out about an intimate scene that they hated doing or they felt really violated in, um, everything is lost at that moment because I've got no interest in watching like recorded trauma. That's, you know, like at that point it's, it's real. I, I have, yeah. you know, like it, I've just got no interest. It's lost the magic. It's, yeah, it's it, it now becomes like almost a violation for me to watch it because I'm I'm watching something that's happening in the moment to those actors and it's really quite traumatic. So I think that that's the shift about intimacy scenes that we're seeing now is that like you can feel good about watching intimate scenes because the chances are that the actors have had like a positive experience doing it. Particularly, you know, like in, in Bridgerton when they're w- so willing to talk about like the positive in- experiences that they've had. Even when you're watching like, you know, scenes of you know, in lots of other um, TV shows and movies, even when you're watching like non-consensual intimacy, knowing that those actors were safe all the way through, Mm -hmm. I think allows you to watch it in a different way. It's like, you know, you you don't have to worry about the actors. You can concentrate on the characters because you know that the actors were safe. Yes, yes. Oh, I I love that. I I love that that we as an audience can start to normalize that like I don't want to watch things where I'm not sure if the mm-hmm. actors are safe right like this is yeah yeah and I'm I'm glad that you have you have hope and and that there's things coming on the horizon that are, mm-hmm. are going to be more positive depictions like that makes me feel really good about where the industry is going because I definitely want to see I want to see more kissing like there was in yes. Richardson like all those kissing scenes I'm like why isn't everyone doing kissing scenes like this and <laughs> I I want to see more romantic anal sex I want to mm-hmm. see things like I I loved Netflix's special because I thought this is so great like this is it showed us you know sex with a sex worker it showed us mm-hmm. disabled bodies it showed us yes. fetishization of disabled bodies like it was so real for mm-hmm. for a lot of people's experiences and for those of us who haven't had the experiences we're like oh damn maybe you know if I have a, a partner that's living with a mm-hmm. disability like is this you know it's, are these assumptions that I'm making or are these mm-hmm. it really allowed me to kind of challenge my own personal biases around it and the last thing that I, I want to see so if you have any pull on this in the industry I want to see more scenes where if it's a heterosexual sex scene I want to see her finish and then leave the room like <laughs> or like roll over and smile because I feel like this is the the scene yeah, that we see that's... all the time right? It's like he just flops over and then she flops over and she's like, that was great. I was like, you didn't come? (laughs) I know you didn't come. (laughs) I can promise you that's on the way. (laughs) Okay, good. Yay. Oh my gosh. Good. I can't can't say which show, but I can promise you uh, you'll see that. 
Okay. Okay. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. And, and I, I think it, that's so wonderful that, that queer people are, are also kind of being more influential. I think, I think maybe a lot of times audiences or um, industries feel that, oh, they're a smaller population. And, but, but I think everyone wants to see less heteronormative, patriarchal, yeah you know, kind of sex. We, we're tired of, of the male gaze and whether, sure. you, whether you're a man or not, I mean, we've all internalized the male gaze. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is amazing. So when you're working with, with actors, uh, how do you have these, these conversations around like what they're comfortable with or, or what language they, they need to use if they're not comfortable with something mm-hmm. or how do they have empathy for the boundaries of, of their co coworkers? Like, I feel that there might be some good stuff for the rest of us to learn about having these boundary conversations. I think it's sort of two parts. Well, when we have them in pre-production, we never want to find out on the day. So I think that that's also like a, just a really helpful starting point. Like have these things, have these conversations in advance so that you're not getting to, I, I never want an actor to have to decide in the moment what they're comfortable with because chances are they're going to have to make that decision under like uh, time pressure, which is never a good thing to do. So um, yeah, two things, have the conversations ahead of time and also just spend some time um, like writing down for yourself. And I, I do this with actors as well, like what your boundaries are because so it's a little different for actors because you know for so long they were conditioned that you have to be okay with everything you have to be open to everything mm-hmm. you will get cast more you will get more work if you're open to everything so you must say yes right um and i mean like that that also came through in like you know consent culture uh, particularly if you know for, for young women um you know if you look at all the um like magazines from like the early 90s and the early 2000s it's 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 one direction it's like how to please your man (laughs) you know like it's 50 quizzes to how to please your man and then if you still can't do it there's 10 more after that and do you know what I mean like like it's very one directional so um I I think it's really important to to figure out like what you're comfortable with what your um you know what your boundaries are and write them down and then realize that you've probably got two sets of boundaries one, you've probably got your non-negotiables. So, hey, it doesn't matter who you are, you're not doing this to me. Um, you know, yes. th- these are your hard lines. Um, that's that's it. That's it doesn't matter. Like this is the this is how I feel. And then you're probably gonna have your negotiable boundaries where they might shift and change as you get to know someone. So the, you might start off with like a, you know, a harder line with someone and then you might relax that after you know like hey I've known you for three months now I feel pretty safe with you I feel safe to try this with you but the key to that is just constant communication because you know people aren't mind readers they're not going to know if your boundaries have changed so you have to be open to it but to do that there has to be a safe a a space that is uh, open enough for those conversations to happen yes I really respect the the talking about a space because I think sometimes people have these conversations around boundaries and they focus on the hard line boundaries, but there might be things that are either even just turnoffs or buzzkills or, yeah. you know, other kinds of things that are like, well, I could take that, but if we don't have to do that, and and you're right, I think for people who have been socialized as as women, they, this is a, a whole, like, you know, you're just kind of taught to take it and to take mm-hmm. up as little space as possible and that masculinity is so fragile and, you know, and mm-hmm. so there's, there's a lot of um, expectations around... Uh, just what role you play in the sexual experience. And I think that maps into, even if you're the receiver or you're the bottom, and even if you're not a woman, but like mm-hmm. how those, those roles in that we understand them. So it's, it's amazing for me to hear the conversation laid out. So I feel like I could pop that out of this, this episode and, and drop it into any partner that, that I, I decide to have sex with because uh, it's not as, as confusing and it can feel intimate when, when we're having these conversations, it doesn't have right. to feel prescriptive or like an interview it can feel really about like I care what's going to make you have the most fun the most pleasure and feel the safest with me 
Most of the butt stuff that we do see on TV and in movies is focused on anal penetration. So mostly penis in butt is what we're seeing. We rarely see anal masturbation or sex toys in butts, and we almost never see ass eating. So personally, I'd like to see more romantic rimming. I mean, someone's ass should have got eaten in the notebook or the Titanic, I don't know. If you want to gift ass eating to someone or to yourself, you don't even need another mouth for anal to oral pleasure. Bebop developed the sex tech that makes ass eating possible through a butt plug. The rimming plug petite has metal beads that rotate around the neck giving circular stimulation, which feels like the sensations of anal oral sex of a tongue sort of swirling around all those cute little folds of the anus to the nerve endings of your butthole. And so you're getting all of this sensation rich pleasure without someone's tongue getting tired. In addition to getting the penetration from a very beginner friendly shape of the butt plug. So it's got the rounded tip, tapered neck, and this beautiful flared base. You also have a remote for easy hands-free pleasure that you can use yourself or you can hand it over to your partner. So visit bvibe.com and use code buttsontv, B-U-T-T-S-O-N-T-V, and get 25% off of all Bvibe branded products between January 12th, 2022 and January 19th, 2022. Yeah. And I think, you know, just, just underlying that, you know, this is, I think sometimes it it can be really tempting to like align the two really quickly. Like, ah, this is what they do in the movie. So this is what we should do in our own bedrooms. But the difference, the difference that we have to spell out as intimacy coordinators, um, to actors is that we are creating make-believe this isn't real. And so we are going to approach this in a, in a very different way. Um, it's, it's fascinating because I've, I've had a couple of um, TV shows approach me and say, ah, oh, we, we know we're doing this reality TV show and we want an intimacy coordinator. And I'm like, hey, that's not us. You need right. a sex therapist. You need a counselor because what you're doing is you're putting people together to create a real romance, which is what we never do. In fact, that's the opposite of what we do because we want to keep our actors safe enough that this is their job, this is their work, they walk away from it. Um, I don't want two of my actors falling in love uh, on on set um, because we work so much in the make-believe right? and it's not real. So we have to make sure that we've got those safeguardings in, which is why I always turn down um, the reality TV shows because it's it's like you're looking for the wrong person at that point. You you need to do you need to work with someone who uh, works with real people and real relationships rather than um, portrayals of because it's two very different skill sets. Yeah, so I'm really careful. Like when I work, when I walk onto a set, I make it clear that they know that I am not a sex therapist. That's not what I'm here to do, um, because we're at work, right? If they yeah. want a sex therapist, like that is something that they need to do in their personal life for their on their own time. I'm here to create like a great sex scene um, and to keep them safe physically and emotionally. And one of the ways I can do that is to effectively separate what we're doing here because it's not real and what they do at home, which is, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. I think that, um, you know, when Fifty Shades of Grey, like the books came out, mm-hmm. um, and then the movies, I, I think that people really were using it as an instruction for BDSM. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, this is really helpful in in reinforcing that, no, this is like a depiction yes. of, of yeah. something in this make-believe space that has a clear beginning and end. These actors mm-hmm. stop being actors yes. know, when, when they're done. And um, so that we can get, because I think a lot of people get inspired by, yeah. by the, the fantasy. Totally yeah. cool. Like, and I think that that's awesome. But the, I think the crossover and the, the confusion comes when people assume that um, intimacy coordinators work for like personal lives. And actually yeah. like we are just like, in, the, the, the one equivalency I, I guess here is that um, stunt coordinators can often fight for real they, they can but it's a very different skill 
because in stunts, it's all about how do we pretend that this has happened and keep our actors safe. Whereas in real fighting, you know, it's like, how can I hurt someone? And so, and it's the same for intimacy coordinators. Like we spend all of our time going, how do we keep these actors safe? How do we make sure that they are not having groin to groin contact? How do we make sure that there are absolutely no bodily fluids being um, exchanged here? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's so, it, we separate it so much. Um, because there's the health and safety aspect of it, but and but I totally think like people should be and and I hope that they are inspired by like the fantasy and the storylines of it. I think that that's so important. But just to like maintain the integrity of the intimacy coordinator, in that like, hey, we, we do this because it's because it's make believe, um, yes. and we're making it. <laughs> we are always. Yes. Yes. And, and the, the art of what you do, I mean, taking something like a kiss can be a kiss or a kiss can be, you know, an expression of longing. A kiss can yes. be a, you know, sort of a, um, a very passionate, like I have to yes. have you kind of kiss. And, and I think it's really cool. You know, as a, a sex educator, I, I love hearing that because um, a lot of people will, will see things on, on media or on TV and feel turned on by it, but then mm-hmm. feel sort of maybe either shame or embarrassment that they're turned on by this thing, but they don't actually want the violence. They don't actually want, you know, right. whatever's happening. But to hear you really make it clear about make-believe, then that actually lifts, I think, a little bit of, of my shame around enjoying certain things that, that might feel, oh, okay, this is in fantasy. So if I want to create it in my own life, I, I have to remember that I'm, it's my muse. It's, it's not yep. an instruction manual, that it really is, oh, I like the vibe of longing or I like the vibe of desire. So what can I do with those, those intentions? Right. Yeah. And, and, and making sure that, you know, like if you have that, that you are talking to an, to an expert in the reality of it. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, like, cause I, I mean, I, I can, I can come along and help and, and help create something that isn't real for people, but they might not like that. (laughs) They're a massive disappointment because the absolute irony with intimacy scenes is that they are often in the reality, not particularly sexy um, because you, because uh, you know, you are not working on that frame. You are working in a real physical space with lots of cameras, lots of lighting, lots of, do you know what I mean? There, there, it is, it's very easy to zero in and just see, you know, the, the final edit, but there is so much physicality that is going on in that room. Yes. Um, there are people in the room that are, you know, working um, to create the shot that uh, it's, it's so fascinating. I mean, obviously you, you can't watch a sex scene being filmed because of closed set protocols. Um, but they are two so different. They are, there's such different things between like the, the final edit and then the physicality of what's going on uh, on set in that moment. Um, and I think that it's really important that, you know, like intimacy coordinators are not seen as sex therapists, even if they have that background, because that's not what they're there to do on the day. Like mm-hmm. a- actors often do not want uh, sex therapy on set in that moment. What they need to know is how do I fake this? How do I keep myself safe? And how do I tell the story? I don't need like, um, I don't need that in the, this moment. It might be super helpful for my private life outside of this. That's really cool. Sure. But in the moment, I'm I'm faking it. So I need the best help that I can get on faking it yes. um, rather than creating it for real. Yes, yes. And I hope that people are listening, you know, really understand that, that our sex in our personal lives doesn't have to be performative. That we No, it, it shouldn't be. <laughs> Yeah, it's, and I think that that's where, like, that's where, like, the beauty of people with, you know, like, sex educationalists and sex therapists and people who have so much knowledge on this, um, that's where, like, absolutely people should be engaging them more. Like, yeah. you know, like, I think there's some, there's the stigma and there's some shame about um, having a sex therapist or, or speaking to someone about it. And, like, that needs to go um, yes. because there's so much that needs undoing around this topic. and. Yes. You know, like watching TV, I think is a great starting point, but also like speak to an expert about it who has like real training in this field uh, because they'll change your life, right? (laughs) Like like they're the ones that are going to affect real change here. So 
And yeah. from your lips to like social media's ears, because I mean, all of a, you know, a lot of our sex therapists, sex educators, like anyone's doing informational sex stuff, we're all, you know, censored and, but Pornhub can have an account or right, like, you know, right, exactly. We, there isn't an even playing field. And it, for me, it's like hearing about what the influences are in your industry. Like, it, I guess it's mirroring the same influences systemically in, in, in our field and trying to get information out. We're just immediately censored so people really have a dearth of, of access to even knowing yeah. that like they could take a class or they could like exactly. you know watch a wheel and listen to things yeah have you seen um kind of has it has been like your job influenced your personal life in in any way like do you do you take your work home or or like because I often say with me as a sex educator I'm like I'm not having the best sex like that doesn't just because I'm an educator doesn't mean having the best is sex but I still struggle with communication challenges but I, I have a bit more self-awareness because the work I get to do with other people um I think the difference I think one of the things is that, that we Again, we have to practice what we preach in terms of like we we have to keep our private lives se- separate from like our, yes. our work lives. So I'm always very careful with actors that I actually don't talk about it because um, I've got to respect the fact that you know like it's it's their time, it's their working um, space, and for me to bring my personal stories into that um, probably yeah. it's just probably not the right space for it. It's it's. Um, I've just got to be aware that like at that moment they're focusing on working, they're focusing on, um, you know, like creating the scene, creating this um, like story and my personal sex life stories aren't probably going to help them in that moment. Um, they're going to want to know like, Hey, where does, where does this um, like, where does this cushion go? Uh, how high should I be lifting my leg? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, is this angle working for camera? Like, like all of that sort of stuff. It like is so practical. I think that that's the difference, right? It's just it is so practical. Something that has changed, I think, is um, just the awareness around consent for me. I like I look at the information that we had ten years ago. You look at the information that you have five years ago. You look at the information right. that you have two years ago around consent and it's it's just changed massively particularly like you know from a millennial generation coming in there was just so little information like when I was at university so little information around it um you know you've got a non-consensual non-consensual sex culture happening at, at you know at it's so many different places um you've and and you know the the media that you've been fed is from one point of view and yes. you know it's, it's we have a, we have a show coming up in a little while um that looks specifically at the 90s and just researching that and seeing the difference mm-hmm. in like the the information that you were getting as like a, a, a teenage girl compared to like the information that you have now and the the pressure you know like it it comes from the um, you shouldn't be having sex, but if you don't have sex, then you're frigid of like that, yes. that really horrible, like space that you're sitting in, uh, growing up being like, well, what, what I can't win. Like, I, like, yeah. I, you know, like, like I, I lose every turn. So, yes. and, and just having such different expectations. And, and it's, it was just so fascinating researching that and, and working with like younger generations, who could not fathom that like that's that was the that was just the culture who and because it's so far away from what they experience now and and you know like I I look at it in my teaching um when I first started teaching workshops on consent um you know I, I was I was working with um a lot of people my age and who were like just floored by you know them being allowed to say no for the first time, mm. just like the the impact that that had on them personally, uh, compared to like when you when when I've gone in and teaching when younger generations around consent, they're like, yeah, cool, we know this, this is great, and it's like, yeah, that's amazing and that's awesome, and 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 it's just it was so refreshing because you realize that there has just been such huge leaps in the last couple of years. We're not there yet; it's not perfect. There's still a long way to go. We know that. But just in, I think, in, in if I can speak in general terms, like the awareness around what's okay and what's not okay and the level of communication required 
has just dramatically changed. Yes, yes. And and I, I hope that it, you know, I, I think about I'm I'm that generation of like, I didn't know anything about consent. And um, mm-hmm. even even being able to have a different sense of, of belonging to my body that mm-hmm. I get to decide like what mm-hmm. happens or noticing, yes. you know, sort of that, that emotional betrayal that happens when you go against like what your body or your yes. emotional safety desires like that. That's such a game changer for people to, to have that in their, you know, professional spaces as, as actors. And then also um, even just culturally to kind of have seen mm-hmm. that change and what that means, you know, behind our bedroom doors. Right, exactly. I, th- I, yeah, I think what you've said about recognition in our own bodies is so important too, because mm. we there was so little education about what that looked like um, and, and uh, how to recognize it and, and what that feels like and um, whether you should speak up about it or not. Uh, do, do you know what I mean? I think I think that's so so fascinating and and just and finding out that there is so much more in the gray now. Than there ever yes. was before you know I, I i when i was growing up it was very much like this these are you know there is yes and there is no and yes and um bad people do know and, and do you know what i mean and it's yes and and i think that it, it has changed so much now to like know everything's like consent's a conversation yes like like consent is a conversation it's an enlightening like we need to have we can't there's there's no assumptions now um yes. that, that there needs that it needs to be talked through thoroughly and like the idea of like that communication happening it was just like unthinkable whereas yeah it's mind-blowing exactly now the extent that we can have that conversation and the freedom to have that conversation um i think feels very different I, I agree. And, and thank you for kind of mapping out sort of the that little like short history of consent, because I, I think even seeing it from five years ago to today mm-hmm. is, is really different. I remember when it first came out, you know, we were having these conversations again, explaining consent. A lot of it sounded like cover your ass kind of stuff, you know, yeah. like make sure you set. But, you know, consent is ongoing and it's, and it's dynamic right. and it can be revoked. And like, you know, there are things that we, we, it, if you care about somebody's pleasure, like if we, if we frame it about like, you want to, to give this person pleasure, then you also have to care about like what their pleasure looks like. It's not just right. what yours look like. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's, it's not really about cool going and getting some. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Lizzie, you created the, the theatrical intimacy company. And I read um, in your bio that it was the, the first to dedicate itself to improving industry standards in, in the UK. And so like, you're like a powerhouse, like everywhere you do so much advocacy and, and so much, um, kind of, of organization around, um, you know, helping to, to change and influence the industry. What's, what's next for you? Like, what do you think you're going to be, uh, hoping to, to create or expand or extend? Um, that is such an interesting question. Um, because, you know, like we've evolved so much in the last couple of years, you know, we started off with theatrical intimacy, which was really based in theater. And watching because because it was so difficult to get film companies involved involved you know like what, the, really where this movement started was theater and grassroots theater we're talking like um, student shows community theaters um, amateur dramatics groups like that's where this movement really took off um, because those were the people who were interested in, in listening you know it was so difficult to get anyone higher up. Um, you know, it, you know, when, when we spoke to people higher up, it was like, oh, you know, oh, we don't really have the budget or, you know, like, oh, well, that's not really relevant right now. Or, you know, we're not really interested. Whereas speaking to people on the ground who are doing like experimental work or, or doing um, plays where they wanted to keep their like friends safe because their friends were like co-actors, their friends were the director, you know, like they were like, yes, we'd love to come and do these workshops. So it started off as like a grassroots theater, a grassroots theater movement, um, which has eventually spread to obviously the, like the film industry and TV industry. Um, so now the company has actually changed to intimacy for stage and screen uh, to encapsulate all the work that we do um, on set and on stage. And we've been obviously hit so hard with the pandemic because the work that we do is is um, heavily based in choreography, which is very much shortchanged online. Like it's very difficult to do that comprehensively. Um, so what we're really hoping is that 
um, we're going to wait a little bit longer for like the COVID cases to come down. Making sure that we have, um, that we can keep uh, people who want to train with us safe. That that's, that's really the key. You know, we keep our actors safe when we work them on screen. So anyone who comes and trains with us, we want to give them the same level of safety that we would give our actors. Um, but it, it's really fascinating. Like I'm doing a lot of transatlantic work at the moment. I'm working a lot in the UK and working a lot in America. Um, and that's been really exciting um, to see, and and um, and I hope I can just continue to do to do more of that. Um, I've got like I think twenty twenty two is going to be a really exciting year. There's a lot of shows coming out that I'm, you know, particularly proud of, um, and a lot of shows that are really challenging some taboos. Um, you know that there's I've done a lot of birthing scenes recently, and I think it is going to be so exciting for the public to see those depicted on screen um oh, yes. effectively because it's something that we just don't see you know like the world is quite happy to watch lots of sex and violence but as soon as like something as graphic as birthing comes along people are less interested or yeah. not that not that they're less interested but it's uh it's not it's not as available so um I think there's a lot of shows coming up that are looking at that. And I think that that's going to be really exciting um, to, to challenge perspectives on and, and see and see where that lands us. Oh, I love that you're excited because in I think that, you know, sometimes we we worry about how long it's going to take to challenge the status quo and like, when are we going to see changes? And I've been, you know, I've been so happy to see depictions of, of sex in shows like Big Mouth and sex education mm. and just really like, opening up you know what i'm like how is this even on tv this is you know right. it feels right it feels so explosive around around our chain so i'm so glad that that you are excited for for 2022 in the industry yeah um, i think that's going to be some really exciting shows coming up and i'm um yeah i, I can't wait to see what the, what the reaction to them is i think it's going to be Ooh. awesome me too. I'm so I'm so excited because you're excited. <laughs> and Lizzie, do you have do you have anything um, coming up that that you would like to share with anyone? Are there workshops or or things coming out for you? Yeah, we should have some more intimacy of stage and screen workshops coming up um, uh, at the end of January and into February. Um, so if people want to have a look and come along and learn a little bit more about what we do, um, please feel free to check the website because uh, they'll be posted. I'm really excited to be able to, to, to share the work in the level that we can. And there's a, there's just some really great shows coming up um, in 2022. Um, there's the the prequel to The Witcher, which I just think is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Oh, God, um, I can't wait. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very cool. Obviously, like Bridgeton season two um we're excited for that oh yes um, we've just had you know um a very british scandal uh there's another uh scandal um tv show that's coming out and so Ooh. it's there's a lot of really exciting things so yeah um there's not there's a lot in, a lot of fun in the pipeline Ooh, okay and we will we will link your website and uh, all the places to find you on social in in the okay. show notes because I'm, I'm sure people will want to keep tabs on all the exciting things that are are happening uh, Lizzie, you are you are phenomenal. I I was really looking forward to this conversation, and it, it it's just blown me away. You're so lovely and and wonderful to to chat with, and I learned so much about how things work and and how all of this intertwines with with life and our personal selves. So thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and and joy with us today. No, thank you so much for having me. It's it's really cool. Um when I get to talk to people who, who work with individuals like specifically and who get to do with the, the real life stuff, because you know, like I get to play in like, you know, I get to play <laughs> a lot of the times. Like I, just, I get to pretend and, and yet like so much of the real work is being done by experts like yourself. And that, that that's where like real amazing, like personal change comes from. So thank you for doing what you're doing. And I'm, I'm excited to see what you do next. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Isn't Lizzie just lovely? What a fantastic conversation. So much to think about when we discuss 
entertainment, its impact on pleasure perceptions, the safety of actors, of being able to uh, have a, a, a distinction between their real life intimacy and their on stage intimacy, like so much goodness from behind the scenes that Lizzie was able to share with us. I think most of us are learning about sex, dating and romance from TV, movies and porn. So what does this say for our sexual communication? What does it say for our confidence? What does it say for the diversity of experiences? How much of this responsibility is industry and how much of this is, uh, you know, us sort of realizing that this is uh, a muse and not necessarily instructional. So I was really excited for, for this interview and even the research itself was fascinating because most of the depictions of anal sex in TV and movies are rough, uh, often depicting assault or shame-based experiences. So being able to, to get behind the scenes on intimacy coordination was actually really thought-provoking. So I'm, I'm excited for the, the teaser that Lizzie left us with and that we're, we're going to see some more exciting things in 2022 that might be what we're actually hungry for. And, um, you know, some questions for you to think about, like, how do we create a, a demand for more inclusive and pleasure focused anal sex depictions on on screen? How do we increase inclusivity in the writing room? How do we find content that challenges our own perceptions? And understanding how our pleasure imagination gets shaped and influenced, it also gives us a chance to recreate it in our own images and uh, the images of the people that we're having sex with. So I would love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Do you have a, a favorite TV or movie butt sex moment? Uh, do you have a go-to butt stuff and chill show that you put on? And is there another topic that you want to see us get into or, or create an anal pleasure conversation about? Leave us in a voice message at speakpipe.com slash the plug podcast. You can find uh, all of that information as well as the discount code to shop at Beva and all the information about where to find Lizzie in the show notes. So me and my booty hole love hearing from you. And until next time, stay bootyful.